All right, that was pretty good, wasn't it? I, uh, I was sitting there, you know, and I was looking for a, a video that would fit the message today. And I found one called Simple Church, you know, and it was a different version of that. And I really like this one because of the color. I love several of the things they said. And then I saw that Methodist thing. And I said, dang, there's no way to cut it out. What are we going to do, you know? And so, you know, normally the only time I mention Methodist is like we beat them to the restaurant because we get out a little bit early usually. You know, but but then it's like God goes, hey, duh, you know, remember that thing you talking about Ecclesia? That's not about a label. It's not about what you have, what badge you have on that when a person truly trusts Christ, that they are the Ecclesia, whether they call themselves Baptist or Methodist or non-denominational, whatever it is. And I said, oh, OK, God, I get it. And today I want to talk about that last phrase, really, about rethinking church. Now, some of you would instantly go and go. That's the problem, Dwayne. We have taken church and rethought it so much, and I don't like it because it's all this change. And I get that, and I understand that, but the thought I've got with rethinking church is something you're really going to like. Because I don't want to rethink church in the sense of methodology as far as, you know, bigger events. You, you saw that, uh, having the, the ordained guy set up Nazi evangelism. I got that. What I want to talk about is what if we were to go back and rethink church? Not 2013, not 1950, but A.D. 33, 34. What if we were to go back and we were to actually go back and look at the book of Acts and rethink church biblically? How did the church respond? What did the church teach? How did they do life as a body of believers, that's the ecclesia. And that's what we want to do today. So if you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to take a peek at what happened around Pentecost and the birth of God's church, the birth of the ecclesia. Now, the message title today, along those lines, is simply called Ripples. Ripples. Now, you know ripples. Um, if, you're, if you know anything about diving, um, there are times when you really don't want to make ripples. And that's particularly true at the, the, for instance, the Olympics. When they go off the high dive, their whole purpose is to not make ripples. And the way to get a good score, of course, is the movement in the air. But if you can enter that water and basically not make a ripple, then you're successful. On the other hand, if y'all, anybody know what a cannonball is? Yeah. Cannonball is what you do when the girls you use, when the girls are around the pool and they're hot and dry and you get on the diving board and you jump off and ball up and splash water all over the ladies. That's what a cannonball is. And the purpose of one is to make no ripples and the purpose of the other is to make a big splash. I really think today in too many churches, we are the Olympic diver. Churches see themselves as inward focused, not trying to make too many ripples in the community. I think God has called us to be a cannonball church. I think God has called us to make a big splash, not for us, but for Him in our world and in our community. So we're going to look at ripples today, how we can be a big splash in our community. And to do so, we're going back a couple of thousand years ago. Acts chapter 2, verse number 36 through 47. 
Now, this, of course, is a tail end of what we call Peter's great message uh, on the day of Pentecost. It also involves the, the, uh, the birth of the church. And it's really cool because he gets up. You know, some guys have said, you know, what's wrong with these guys? Like, it's only like 9 o'clock in the morning and they're already drunk. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. They're not drunk. This is something a lot bigger than, than alcohol. This is like an outpouring of God's spirit, just like he promised in the book of Joel. You're seeing that fulfilled. And he preaches this really powerful message. Now, here's the deal. He didn't stand up there and say, guys, if you'll just believe what I'm saying today, that you'll have a great life. Guys, if you'll just believe what I'm saying today, God will fix all your problems. With no deference or, or no reference, really not negative reference to Joel Olstein, guys, I want to tell you how you can have your best life now. You don't see that in Peter's message. In fact, can I be really true to you? If you look at the work of the Word of God, you do not see over and over again, you don't see people saying, the Word of God saying, God wants you to have your best life now. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. What you do see is a promise from God that God, through Jesus Christ, will walk with you. And we have sold, and I'm part of that generation, and we have sold to people a God that does not exist. A God that promised you a perfect life. A God that promises you'll never lose your God or your job. A God that promises that you'll never be sick. A God that promises that you'll have wealth. And the only thing problem wrong, wrong with that is, is that it's not biblical. It's not biblical. What we see from Peter is the truth. So here's what he says, starting out in verse number 37. He says this. Therefore, now, now, uh, Brother Tim stole my line. I know that. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you kind of want to look and see what it's there for. And, and you want to go back up to verse number 32. What, what Peter talks about is something that's hugely important. is the fact that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross like this, but he didn't stay dead. Now listen, here's why that's so important. A lot of people were crucified. A lot of people. Have you ever been in prison before? Uh, not as an inmate? You know, have you, you know, I know Brent goes to the jail. Did you know there's no guilty people in jail? They all have been falsely accused. There's a lot of people. Virtually every person that Rome crucified, they would tell you, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. A lot of people, a lot of good people perhaps were crucified. Jesus was crucified. And we know the story. We know the fact that he died for our sins. That he took the wrath of God that we would not have to. That his blood paid the price for whosoever will may come. But you know what's hugely important? You know what cements the fact that he was the Messiah? The resurrection. Because when a dude dies, when Jesus dies, and on the third day he gets up, you go with a guy who got up. The power, and we don't preach this enough, the power of, of who Jesus is, is the resurrection. Peter capitalizes on it. He says, I want you to know something, that this Jesus that you killed God raised him from the dead. So he says, because of that, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty. In other words, no doubt about it. These guys were church people. They'd been raised in church. They were taught to look for the Messiah who would come. Know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, the one you saw die, and a lot of you, we know it, but a lot of you know that he resurrected. This Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Messiah. He was God and he was Savior. 
That's the important message. Guys, let me tell you something. It's important we have excellent worship. It's important that we, of course, have have effective preaching of the Word of God. It's important we have good facilities. It's important that we have good small groups. But we must understand that the most important thing is the message that God loved us and sent a Savior, and His name was Jesus Christ, and He died on a Roman cross, and on the third day, He resurrected, proving He's the Messiah. Proving He's the Messiah. That is the message. I loved it when, when Matt said, there's not the Great Commission. There's only one, the Commission. And that is to spread this incredible news that God has sent a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. So this one that you sent both, has made Him both Lord and Messiah. And verse 37, when they, when they heard this, that they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? The word conviction there is good, but, but really in the Greek, it's the word they were cut to the heart. They were, they were stunned. Um, have, have you been, have y'all ever been caught off guard before and someone popped you, hit you, and you're stunned by it? I told you a story when I was the choir director over in Germany, and, and I, I did the big, you know, like this, and my pastor was sitting here, and I knocked him upside the head. Not, he was stunned. And it wasn't, listen, Dave, it wasn't the quality of the choir special. I promise you. But I just knocked him upside the head and knocked his glasses off. He was stunned. Well, these guys, in a spiritual sense, by the Holy Spirit, by God Himself, they were stunned at what they heard. There was deep conviction. Oh, how we need that in the church. Oh, how we need to pray. Oh, how we need to present. Oh, how we need to worship that God would present an atmosphere where people are convicted of their sin. Both those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and, and they may receive Him as Savior and Lord. But for those of us who are walking the Jesus journey, that we might be convicted of our lifestyles when there's sin involved. And this conviction just fell over them and said, what must we do? We need to have a ministry. We need to have lives that calls people to ask, what must we do? Question. Is this body of believers the kind of church that would cause people in Harrisburg to say, what must we do to have what y'all got? Question. Are we the kind of believers that cause people to say, I don't know what you got, but what must I do to have what you've got? That's exactly what happened in Peter's case. It wasn't that he had a flowery message. He wasn't that, it wasn't that Peter was this supercharged, fantastic speaker. He was anointed by God, amen. He had the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. It wasn't the popularity of his message that caused this to happen. It was the power of God cut loose on that crowd. We've all heard the stories of the great revivals where people would walk on the premises where the meeting was being held and fall down their knees and confess their sin and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. That's church. Amen. That's church. What must we do to be saved? So... Peter, ever the great diplomat, ever full of diplomacy, said, well, you, you need to come to church, um, Sunday school, um, four weeks in a row. And after four weeks, we'll enroll you. Okay? And, and then, if, if you want this, then you come and you dress like we do. 
You learn the lingo, so you'll assimilate well into the body of Christ. Um, you learn the songs, okay? Don't do anything like really outlandishly sinful, and, and then you can be assimilated into the church. Is that what he said? No, no. He, Peter gives us, listen to me. Peter gives us the missing cog. Peter gives us the missing piece of the puzzle. One word. Repent. Repent. I had a car once. And it had a flywheel. Most engines do. And my flywheel had like three teeth missing. And it wasn't a real big problem. Unless the starter gear happened to hit where those three teeth were missing. And you know what sound it makes then? Instead of... You get... So back in those days, you had, you had manual transmission. So guys, what do you do? Yeah, you put it in neutral. I'm sorry, you leave it in gear and you rock the car. And that causes the engine to turn and the, the gears then mesh and you get to start your car. We are missing this important cog. I know you heard Tim mention it. I mentioned it a couple times. But, but let me put some real good clarification. There are some people who say that the prayer of salvation is like wrong. I disagree with that. The problem is not the prayer. It's the way we have led people to pray that prayer and also the heart of the person praying that prayer. You see, we have taught people, generations of people say, just, have you heard these words? Come on. Just pray this prayer. Honey, it is not just pray that prayer. Peter says there's something that's got to take place and that word is repentance. Repentance. Listen, for a person to be saved, it involves, and Tim said this, repentance and faith. Faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and a willingness to turn, a change of attitude about sin. Not just the sin you are currently doing, but the sin that will happen in your future life. It's a change in this. And Peter says the missing part is you've got to Repent. You've got to be willing to go in this direction away from God and you've got to be willing to turn back toward God. You've got to take the seat of your life, the throne of your life and look at yourself in the mirror and say, excuse me, you need to get up. And then you've got to let Jesus Christ, God, sit in that seat. That is necessary for salvation. And that is missing in church after church after church after church. If there's ever a picture, and perhaps you've heard of the reformist movement, if there's ever a picture, a key cog in that, it's going back to repentance, which all I can do is say, amen. Come on, guys. Amen. Now, does that sell as good as your best life now? No. Does that sell as good as you'll never lack for a job? No. Well, what's the big deal, Dwayne? Why do it? Because God said so. We got to quit doing, we got to rethink church. We got to stop doing church the way that might get a crowd and may get us report several baptisms a year to get back to telling people, here's the deal. You are a sinner and you have sinned against a very holy God. And without something happening on God's part and your part, you are going to spend eternity in a place called hell. If you're willing to put your faith and trust, this is your part. If you're willing to put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, if you're willing to turn from your sin, God will forgive your sins. You can call him father. He'll come into your life and be a key part of your life. And you gain a savior who'll walk with you through life. Amen.
Huge, huge. He says, repent, he said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, much discussion. I think anyone who's read the Bible here regularly understands that the Bible does not teach a regenerational baptism. It doesn't teach that baptism is a part of salvation. Um, one, one person says the Greek word therefore can be uh, because of or on the basis of. But the bottom line is, if you look in Mark chapter 1, when John is the beginning of the gospel, and John the Baptist talks about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The same, the Greek scholars tell me that the same idea is true here. That the baptism is a sign of your repentance. It doesn't get you into heaven. But it's an outward sign. It's a mark of your being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it marks you as a person who has turned from their sin. And Peter's saying, yes, repent. And mark that repentance with a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Show your sincerity. Show your, your publicness about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And after that, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Notice this time. There's no tongues. There's no fire. It's really cool. But what just happened is, Peter says, if you'll repent sincerely of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit will come into you and dwell in you. You will be, here it is, born again. That is crucial. And I'm telling you guys, it scares me. Because I know the generation of pastors that I represent, too many of us, have taught people just pray a prayer. Just pray a prayer. They didn't understand about repentance of sin. So many, of them, so many men have come to my office and said, you know, my wife has left me. I've been a jerk husband. Well, let's pray a prayer and somehow God's going to fix it all. More than being a fix it all, God is God. And He is holy. And we are unholy. And He wants to make, for the un, make a way for the unholy to become holy. And that's what you are if you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, if you turn from your sins. So Peter tells them the truth. And brothers and sisters, we've got to tell people the truth. The truth. So he goes on and says this. He says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter says, this is for you individually as individuals today. But not only that, it's a generational thing. That as you trust Christ and, and as you present Christ to your family, many of those will also trust Jesus Christ as Savior. But it's also bigger than that. It's for the ones who are far off. Any idea who he's talking about? Gentiles. Gentiles. See, Peter that day said... You are hearing this, this sermon. You need to be saved. You need to turn from your sin. And you need to take this message back to those in your family circle that they might be saved. But it's bigger than that. That we need to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to tell the world what God has done. Every, we had a good week, by the way. I don't think you all got to come back. But we had good crowds and we had good Good revival series, a good renewal series. The last night, David led us in Amazing Grace. My chains are gone for the invitation time. And I'm sitting there thinking. And I, and I heard, I heard the, the intensity pick up. That when we've been there, 
10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've just begun. Amazing grace, my chains are gone and people are raising their hands. And then the thought entered my heart and mind. When you're up in heaven, those first 10,000 years, and you're praising God, the people that we chose not to share the gospel with, are burning in a Christless hell. And not for 10,000 years, but forever and ever and ever and ever. As we celebrate each week, rightfully so, amazing grace, my chains are gone. They still walk around in the bondage of their sin. How can we not share the gospel with them? How can we not be a church that centers on the truth of Jesus Christ in His good news. I pray that will burn in our minds the next time we sing that song. I know not everybody's going to get saved. Not everybody's going to trust Jesus. Not everybody's going to repent of their sins. But I'm telling you this. Everybody receives the opportunity. Everybody deserves the opportunity to hear the gospel of the good news. And this idea about about those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. I know there's a big discussion about, about predestination and all that. I'm not that smart. I'm just going to go with John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I'm, I'm just going to go with the world if it's okay with you. That, that every person can be saved by the powerful blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go with Jesus when He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the best I can tell, all of us were or all of us are. I'm just going to go with, with that. And they can debate about predestination and who God called and who doesn't call. I, I can't figure that part out. But I will tell you this. That that man on that cross died because he loved the world. And red, yellow, black, or white, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, whether they live on Barnett Street or Southwest Acres, whether they have American citizenship or or West African citizenship, whether they send a whole bunch or send just a little bit, Jesus Christ died for them, and He is the hope of their salvation. The hope of their salvation. In fact, the only hope of their salvation. And we've got that task. We've been ch- That's why we've got to rethink church. I do not know when the, when the final bell is going to ring. I don't know when Christ is coming back. But I know these are dangerous days for a lot of people. People are dying all around us. Too many without Jesus Christ. He goes on. He said, with many words, it was a long sermon that day, with many words, he testified and strongly encouraged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Do your part. Believe in Christ, because he's done his part. And the Bible says, it's incredible, he goes, so those, in verse uh, 41, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Wow. Now notice, I want you to get, are you you listening? Tell me you're listening. He did not get that result by promising your best life now. He did not get that result by saying, you know, come to our church and we'll do such and such for you. 
He, he didn't get that result by saying, God will just fix everything in your life because God wants you to be happy. He got that result anointed by the Holy Spirit, the people in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and speaking the truth. And that's our challenge. We are to create an environment here, and that means, that we're going to talk about worship in a minute, but that means us worshiping correctly, that our heart being correct, and allowing God the freedom of the Holy Spirit to work in here, convicting the hearts of people. 3,000 people were saved, and then they were all baptized. And then verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. There's some specific actions that happened in the early church. And I want us to challenge ourselves and say, are these things happening in the church today? Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, they were, now you understand they started with 120. So you're talking about, about huge growth. I mean, this thing was big. Exploded. So somehow, through God's anointing and also through their leadership and through the hunger of the people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they made sure that there's time in their life and their busy lives for them to receive teaching from the apostles. There was no Bible, there was no New Testament. They simply had the witnesses. Of the ones who saw Jesus Christ, saw him do the miracles, saw him crucified, and saw him resurrected. And they taught them what they had seen. To be a New Testament church, may I encourage you that we always be a church that teaches the word of God in truth. Amen? In truth. And I want to encourage you as a believer in Jesus Christ, make time for the teaching of the word. Of all places... Hebrews, it's, it's the powerhouse of this truth. Let us hold fast. This is Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Repeat that with me, please. For he who promised is faithful. One more time. For he who promised is faithful. That's the key thing. No, your life won't be perfect, but you will never walk one step in this world without the fellowship and help of Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right? So, so it says, um, I've lost my place. Uh, here, first, we are over here. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We're to encourage one another. Now, that doesn't happen sometime at church. You know, people walk up and say hard things, hurtful things. There's a time for hard things and hurtful things, but this body at this time is not it. When a person's down at church for four weeks, then it's not the time to say, where have you been? And not out of compassion, but like, hi, I've been here before. Where have you been? We are to stir one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to edify one another because we are the ecclesia. We are the body of Christ. Come on now. We're the body of Christ. Encourage one another. In your Sunday school classes, oh, if you're not in a small group, I need to encourage you to get in one because that's where the relationships are built. You can't build relationships in a group of 325 people. It occurs in that small group where you learn the Word of God and you have your, your concerns prayer for. And when someone, oh, when you're gone, boy, you're missed because your chair is empty. You need to be in a small group. And then he says this, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Hmm. 
as is the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, so we, they needed one another. They devoted themselves for the purpose of being edified and lifted up. There goes this. They also to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now this is really cool. Write this down if you're taking notes. The word fellowship, there's one word, and then the next two define what that fellowship is. Most likely, it involved three things, not two. It involved a meal. See, we bad this aren't off base. We're not. Most likely, they got together for a common meal. A meal, the meal, the Lord's Supper, and the prayers. So when the Ecclesia got together, whether it was all of them, all 3,000, or whether it was small groups as they broke into small groups, when they got together, they enjoyed probably a communal meal, and that's fellowship, that's building relationships. Hey, how you doing? How can I help you? All that. Then they worship God, and they, they remember. Remember what Jesus said? Remember, they remembered that old bloody Roman cross that Jesus paid it all. Not their good works, not their new church. Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. Santa left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. They remembered. And then they prayed. Notice it says in the, in the Holman Christian Standard, the prayers, very accurate. It was prayers of intercession. It was prayers of thanksgiving. It was prayers of supplication. That was their kind of fellowship. Isn't that powerful? Now, question. How often do we do that? Because we don't want to be considered Catholic or, or Lutheran, we do the Lord's Supper four times a year. And somewhere, I'm sure someone's going, I know that's in the Bible somewhere. No. Somewhere we Baptists thought about four times a year was just about right. And if we tried to do it five, there'd probably be a deacon's meeting. So, so it's part of it. And Tim hit it on prayer meeting. You know, we're, we're trying to turn our prayer meeting back in our Wednesday night to make sure we pray. Not, it's nothing wrong with praying illness. But praying for kingdom matters. For lost people. For our country. For our elected officials. Spiritual matters. And then, and then yeah, a common meal. Common meal. You know, listen. We don't invite people over anymore. I can't tell you the last time that I've had somebody over for supper. When you do more of that. Pooter had this, this women's group meeting on Monday nights and they were doing a Bible study. And the bad part was is that they banished me to the upstairs. I wasn't a girl. So I got banished upstairs. And, and we thought Sassy was coming with me, the dog, but, but that didn't work out. She was a girl and wanted to go downstairs too. Do you want to know? The, now listen, the teaching was powerful. But you know what those people loved, those ladies loved? The fellowship of getting together and talking about Jesus and talking about life. That is so hugely important. And that's what they did. They got together to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And and then fear, fear came over everyone, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. And you're probably someone say, yeah, if we have more of that sign and wonder stuff, well, God has his ways. Now, does God still do signs and wonders? Absolutely. But really, after Acts 15, the miracle thing really seems to take a back seat. 
You know what I think? Would you like to know my opinion? I think it's because the church, the ecclesia, was getting organized. And there's there an equally powerful instrument. I bet you can't guess what it is. It wasn't Billy Graham. <laughs> it was love. It is so radical when the ecclesia gets together and love is really played out. You understand there's nothing really in the world like that? I mean, even, even Satan can, can trick people into believing in miracles. But this, this godly, agape, sacrificial love, I mean, it, it's, like, it's like white on rice. It's like watermelon and gnats. Now, y'all not from the South. I'm, I'm sorry. But you want to draw, if y'all want to draw, draw a crowd of gnats in the South, all you got to do is cut a watermelon. Am I right, Judy? You're sitting there, and you cut that melon, and those little gnats, those little things, those little bugs, they come from where? And you eat your melon, you go... You don't want to get extra protein. I'm telling you, listen to your pastor. When the ecclesia loves Jesus and loves one another, it draws the lost people in. Because they say, this is otherworldly. When we start putting others first in front of ourselves, they go, this is otherworldly. The problem is, in most churches, the majority of churches, that's not so. And they look at our religion, and they look at our rules, and they look at our, our Christianese that we speak, and they listen to our music, and they see our productions, and they say, I see that in the world. I'm sure the Lions Club have their language. I'm sure, I'm sure other people have meals, but there's nothing like agape love. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love, not by your programs, not by your building, not by your, by your legalese, but by your love. By your love. I'm telling you, we need to rethink church. Yes, we need to fall in love with Jesus over and over again, but we've got to fall in love with one another. It doesn't matter if you wear a tie or you don't. It doesn't matter if you like hymns or if you like the courses. It doesn't matter if you like long sermon or short sermons. It doesn't matter if you like it hot or if you like it cold. It doesn't matter. What matters is we tell people, show people the love of God so they might want what we have. That's it. Because if not, they will spend eternity while we're singing in heaven... They're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. And we may, if there is a conscience in heaven, and we may soothe their conscience while there was a church on every corner, they could have been saved. But we may have been the cause of why they didn't want to go to church. Because of We should love, love one another. And about this time is for the disclaimer. No, we don't have a fight going on, and no one sent me an email, and no one called. I'm just preaching the truth. I'm just preaching the truth. All right, we got to hurry up. Got 10 minutes. 44 through 47. It's like a report card for the church. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. Now, held all things in common pertains to their goods. But I want you to notice that all the believers were together. That's huge. Question. Are all believers together? Answer, no. If I was given a grade on this from A to F, 
the church would probably have to get a D. Because, because we're worried, some of y'all are worried that that said Methodist church. When we get together, now, now we, we Baptists know we got it right. Okay? But come on, we got to work with the Methodists sometimes. I'm being facetious. When there is a body of believers who are of like faith and believe in like we do as far as you know, the key elements of the gospel, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I have an amen? And here's the crazy part. You, you say, okay, we can't get along with First Baptist Church or Bankston Fork or some other church. We're, we're all worried about kingdoms. I told, I told my class, and I don't think I've shared this, but I did just forgive me because I'm getting older. But I asked my Sunday school, our, our Sunday school class, what kind, of, what kind of people go to First Baptist Church? And there was dead silence. I said, okay, what kind of people go to Dorsville Baptist Church? Dead silence. Do you know the answer to both questions? Ecclesia, believers, Christians, it doesn't matter where you call your church home. If you are the body of Christ, you are the body of Christ. What's this kingdom building business? I remember a pastor once said, don't you go to that church, you go to our church. God, help us. How are we going to win this world to Christ if we can't get along with the ones that have the same name as we do? And Satan just goes by and going, Probably clapping in time, David. We need to learn to get the believers together. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all who had a need. They shared. I won't speak to the ecclesia. I will speak to you. This is one area that I personally believe that I give our church a B or B plus. The fact that we have raised this money for state missions is totally incredible. That's cool. The fact that, that we'll be one of the leading givers in Lottie Moon and in Armstrong, that's cool. But it doesn't stop there. 200 people showed up from our church last week and ministered in the park. That's sharing your life. Now, you can clap if you want to. I hope you will. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. That's the way it ought to be. In fact, a non-member of our church, a guest of someone was sitting there, and I was chatting with them, and, and, and she said, Dwayne, this is what it ought to be. This is the way it ought to be. And she wasn't even a member of our church. But, but judgment house and back to school and, and block parties and, and, oh, Wednesday night. While we're sitting down in our old comfortable fellowship hall, there are people, there were 70 kids trying to herd them and teach them about loving Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. But we need to pray that that, that will catch fire and grow in our church more. Grow in our church more. All right, next thing. Every day, they devote themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. And they broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with a joyful and humble heart. And again, for a lot of you, it's, it's, no, no, it's a no-brainer. But for some of you who are still struggling, I just want to encourage you, not, not for the purpose of reporting an attendance, and, and not, and not you know, so you can fulfill a rule, but I really pray that you feel that, that where you go to church, it happens to be Dorsville, that that's worth coming to. It's worth coming to. That, that, that there's, there's, there's worship that helps you worship God. And there's teaching that, that helps you grow and edify. There's a small group for you where, where you're solidified in the body of Christ. And where you're taught the word of God uh, on a very much smaller level. I pray you feel that way. I pray you feel that way.
And, and, I, and I pray and I pray that we'll do so as we break bread together with a joyful and humble attitude. And that's a hard one now. See, remember, joy isn't happiness. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Joy is found as we believe in our sovereign God that he is walking with us through life and control my circumstances. And humbleness is the opposite of pride. That we'll understand, we'll understand that regardless of what God does in our ministry, who does it? Who does it? Judy, we say it louder. God does. It's not your leadership staff. It's not even us. It's God. And you listen to your pastor again. When you have a pretty good ministry, and I think we've got a pretty good ministry, you better watch out because old Mr. Pride will wiggle his way in there and say, Oh, look what you're doing for the kingdom of God. He did it all. We're just, we just get the privilege of showing our love for him by serving. That's all it is. How cool. And it ends up with this. Praising God and having favor with how many people? Now, now this is really radical. This is what I was talking about. All the people. That means the ones who got baptized and the ones who didn't. The one who trusted Jesus and the ones who didn't. They, some of them have said, I don't know. I wasn't there, and I, Bill, I didn't see him get up out of the grave. I didn't see, so I just can't, I can't believe a man can die and he can get up and stay up. I just can't believe that. But, I'm sure not arguing what's happening in their life. They found favor. People couldn't argue with what was going on. They may not have bought it, they may not have understood it, but they couldn't argue with it. What are being said of the church today? The world may not agree with us. The world may think we're a little bit strange. <laughs> if you're not a normal church member, <laughs> you know it's going to get in sermon somewhere. You know, if we're abnormal church members, which we are, compared to others, people found favor with it. Found favor. And, 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 and the Lord added every day to them, such as we're being saved. Wow. I think, I think the keystone, Dave, the keystone is worship. They were praising God. Now, again, they, they probably, i got to be honest with you, they probably, David, they probably sang out a hymn book. It's called the Book of Psalms. <laughs> you know, that, that was the hymn book to a Jewish believer. They had the Book of Psalms. But here's the cool part. They were authentic in their worship. They showed up and they were authentic in the worship. And I can't tell you how important it is. I know some of y'all are saying it's time to stop. Again, some of y'all are saying it's hot, it's loud, it's cold. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Are you, are you, are you listening? When we're sitting there and you've got this look, and inside you're going, land the plane, Dwayne. Land the plane. The methods are going to beat us today, Dwayne. Or I can't believe that person is snoring two people down from me. Or I can't believe they wore that to church. Or I can't believe they didn't wear that to church. Did you know, even though, even though no one knows what you're thinking, you're emitting gamma rays? 
all this, all that stuff in your heart is emitting out. And there might be somebody two doors down from you in your seats who's lost today. And you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit can't penetrate that person's heart because we're not worshiping Him as we should. It's important. It's important that when we come in this room, our heart be one. We may not like the same music. We may not like the length of the sermon. That's okay. But we have one heart. And guess whose it belongs to? Is this? Let me ask you a question. Is this something we can agree on? Come on. You better do better than that. You'll be here all afternoon. Is this something we can agree on? Amen. It is. He's the common denominator. If you know Jesus Christ, we can worship Him authentically. Now, there's a question on the bottom of the sermon sheet I want to close with. A statement and a question. When a church body emphasizes strong worship and solid biblical teaching and an atmosphere of true fellowship mixed with consistent evangelism, it will be healthy. And a healthy Christian community, read Dorisville, will attract people to Christ. What are you doing to make your church a healthy place that will draw others to Christ. That's the bottom line. After looking at Acts chapter 2, after looking, rethinking church, going back to how they did church 2,000 years ago, what are you doing, what are we doing, to make our church a healthy place, spiritually, that will draw others to Christ? Because, really? 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 Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Would you bow your heads, please, in prayer? If you're here today, you heard maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time when it really sunk in, that you really have sinned against a holy God. That's the really bad news. God is very holy and you are not. In fact, none of us are. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, it says. No, not one. So today, I want to offer this invitation to you. If you felt like God has spoke to your heart today, I know that's kind of a, that's kind of a hokey way to put it. What do you mean God speaks to my heart? If there's something pulling you toward the truth you heard today, my friend, brother Brent, will be down here. And his sole purpose for being here is to talk to you. Because we want you to come to know Jesus Christ. That's a huge chunk of why we do what we do every week. You'll have questions and, and we'll try to answer those questions for you. And, and maybe it's just the beginning of a conversation. Maybe you're not ready to make that commitment yet today. But it's a start. It's a starting point, as Dave Nate would say. So that's part of the invitation. The second part of the invitation is this. Talking now to Ecclesia, not, really, not Dorisville members, the Ecclesia. Because I keep telling you guys, some of you have your name on roll, some of you don't. But you are family and you know it. We count you as family at this church. There's no distinction really between the ones with the name on the roll or not. Some of you have been coming for months and months and you are family. I want you to know that. So what can you do to make our church a healthy spiritual environment for the purpose 
of drawing others to Christ. It may be service. We so desperately need preschool workers right now. We are running about 45 preschoolers. And we're having a hard time getting teachers. We're running 45 preschoolers. And we're having a difficult time getting extended session workers. We need that. Some of you might be just greeting. I know Nanette Franks has taken upon herself to be a greeter on Sunday morning. And we got great greeters. But she just walks around in blue chairs and saying, Hi, I'm Nan. We're glad you're here. And find out names and addresses. Perhaps that's how you want to serve. Our kitchen team served us so ably Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, serving the body so that we could attend revival. It's incredible. How? What can you do to make this church a more healthy spiritual environment to attract others to the kingdom? And, and, and that may not a walk the aisle decision. That might be something you chew on this week. So God... Thank you very much for leading Luke to write down this story. Thank you for Peter being obedient that day so we could learn from his example. And thank you for the, the early church that we can rethink church and look back. And so we can make a big splash in this world and our community. Not for our glory, but for yours. Not for our credit, but for yours. God, help us to chew on this. Help us to ingest this. And, Father, that become a part of our fabric of who we are. And, Father, there's someone here today who heard about Jesus and the death on the cross and the resurrection. And they understood today that they have sinned against you. Oh, may they, either during this time or even afterwards, may they find this incredible Jesus that we talked about today. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.